Right. Just before we start the sermon, I wanted to um, just lead us in a prayer. This week uh, is one of those weeks in our nation when we remember uh, the First Nations people of Australia, the Indigenous uh, people and uh, all that they have done in this land. And of course, we also remember the troubled history that we have as uh, many of us as those who've come as not the original inhabitants. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer uh, for all the First Nations people of Australia and for us as Christians that we could be united in Christ uh, and for peace. So let me lead us in that prayer first. Creator God, you made from one man all the nations and you determined where each should live. We bring before you the indigenous people of Australia and we acknowledge the history that's damaged the relationship between them and later arrivals to this land. Thank you for the steps that have been taken on the journey to reconciliation. Deepen this process amongst us. Guide national and community leaders to speak the truth in love, to seek justice with mercy, and to care for those who are disadvantaged. Strengthen Indigenous church leaders to shepherd your flock faithfully, and strengthen all Indigenous Australians to be salt and light in their communities and in the whole nation. And give all believers grace to demonstrate the new family that you're making in Christ out of people from every nation, tribe, language, and people. And we pray this. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, a little guessing game of this quote. Some people seem to get all the sunshine and some all the shadows. Anybody know where it's from? It's a little clue built in to the picture. A little clue for those of us who are Gen X and grew up in the 90s, all of the younger ones, you're looking at that picture saying, no, no. Here's the most recent remake, Emma, Emma Thompson, Sersha Ronan, and um, it's Little Women. Well done. I, I knew you. I heard you say it early. I'd spoil all my fun. Little Women, uh, Louisa May Alcott's classic from 1868, uh, the story of four sisters um, and their passage into adulthood. Um, there's Meg, there's Joe, there's Beth and Amy. Uh, Meg is the oldest and the prettiest. Um, and she's also the one who embodies their society's expectation for women. Uh, she, um, uh, she wants to be married. She wants to settle down with a family. She's the perfect little woman for 1868. Uh, but then Joe, she's the second eldest, uh, and she's the complete opposite. She's the tomboy. She's fiercely passionate. She wants to be a writer, to have adventures, rather than be conformed to a stereotype for women. Um, and so Joe's character is ahead of her time. And I think that's probably why the book has such enduring um, uh, power because, you know, she, uh, she leads in female empowerment and uh, it's relatable even 150 years on. The younger sister, Amy, she's spoiled, um, but she grows out of that in time. She kind of, she's a bit of a minor character in my mind. And then there's Beth, the third child. Um, and if you know the story, Beck is, yeah, she'll make you cry every time. She's the shy sister. She's the quietly wise sister and the peacemaker. Um, so four sisters, four really different personalities, but are all bound together in incredible storytelling. And uh, in our Bible passage today, it's all about four different personalities, four characters who are all bound together, not by family, but by Jesus, through an encounter with Jesus. And I think it's some incredible storytelling. And it's the beginning of an even more amazing story that we're going to follow in weeks to come. So why don't we pray that God will open our eyes to have the same kind of encounter with Jesus today. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, as we read your word this morning, will you transport us into the story? Will you help us to imagine an encounter with Jesus? And would you make that real for us today? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, so as I said, a, a little mini-series just for a couple of weeks uh, called Encounters with Jesus. It's all about people who met Jesus and how they were changed by it. And the reason I want to do this is because I think here in the Highlands, in Robertson, in Burrowang, and all across wherever we go, I think there are many people who need to have an encounter with Jesus. And I want us to have that encounter first so that we can invite our friends to come and see, just like we learned in the kids' story. But thinking about Jesus' life up until this point, Jesus uh, is 30 years of age uh, in the Bible reading that we had, more or less. And he spent his life as a carpenter in a small town, uh, pretty obscure given the hype around his birth. You know, he was born to the virgin uh, mother and then there was angels in the sky and kings came and visited him. But then nothing much. Uh, we hear about him as 12 years old in the book of Luke that he was in the temple and um, the rabbis were, were um, uh, amazed by the questions he was asking and his understanding. But apart from that, Jesus grows up largely under the radar until the age of 30. And, and then the day before our passage that we just read, um, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Um, and remember that special scene, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and God's voice speaks to him from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Uh, this is God's public announcement that the time had come to reveal Jesus as the chosen one, the Messiah. And so our passage opens really with the very first encounter that anybody has with Jesus after his baptism. Um, this is the first recorded encounter anyway. It happens to two disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, now, back in those days, disciples would follow their teacher. Um, they would uh, follow after them. They would learn from them. They would emulate the lifestyle. That's what a disciple was. It was a, a student, um, students dedicated to a master's teaching. And the two characters that we meet are disciples of John, and they'd been listening to John's teaching all about the Messiah, and they're waiting for the Messiah to be revealed. And look at what happens when John points to Jesus. Look at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. Um, Lamb of God, it's, it's an Old Testament uh, prophecy. It's, it's almost like a code word for the chosen one, for the Messiah. Um, the disciples know exactly what it means when John says, he is the Lamb of God. And so they turn their attention from John, their master, and they turn it towards Jesus. Look at verse 37. See, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Um, see, these were disciples of John the Baptist. They dedicated themselves to following John the Baptist and all of his teaching. And all of a sudden, they turn around to follow Jesus instead. What I think is remarkable is that Jesus hasn't even said a word at this point, has he? Jesus hasn't said a word. Uh, on the strength of their master's recommendation, they changed the course of their life. And so maybe I'm overstating it, but they give Jesus a chance based on the word of somebody they trust. And I wonder if your friends or family might be willing to give Jesus a chance purely on the basis of a word from you, because they trust you. I'm going to say more about that in a moment. Uh, but come back to verse 38 with me because Jesus speaks the first words that we have recorded from his public ministry. 
Um, Jesus turns around and he sees the two disciples following him and he asks, what do you want? He asks, what do you want? And when I was a kid, I remember going to plays at school. Did anybody else get to go to, to plays when they were in school? Um, hating Alice and Ashley, if you grew up in the, in the 1980s, uh, this story of um, a girl at school who was, I guess she was triggered by the popular girl, you know, the pretty one and the smart one, and, and Erica was never as smart or as popular, and she hated Alice and Ashley. Anyway, um, in the stage play that I, I saw, um, they did some fun things on stage, but at one point in the story, Erica, the main character, she sees Alison and she says, I wish I could die. And um, she's pretty upset. And then the actor played with it a bit and, and changed it. She said, I wish I could die. And then changed the emphasis again. I wish I could die. Um, I, I, I wish I could die. And they played with it. Anyway, when Jesus says, what do you want? You know, like Jesus could say, well, what do you want? What do you want? But I don't think that that's what he did. Um, I think Jesus actually turns around to these disciples and he says, what do you want? He's actually asking them this question. It's an invitation, this open-ended question that invites you to consider what you really want in life. Jesus is kind of asking, I think, what do you want? What are you seeking? What would make you truly happy? What do you want from life? These are the first words that Jesus ever said in his public ministry. And for me, it's no surprise that John remembers them. We assume that John was one of those two people in the story here. John remembers exactly what Jesus said to him the first time he met him. Imagine Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, what is it that you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? Um, You this morning, what, what brought you to church? Why did you come today? What are you looking for here? If you're watching online, what what prompted you to log in and watch? See, Jesus asks us the same question. What are you looking for deep down? What are you hoping that Jesus can bring to your life? I've been a Christian for 30 years now, and um, the question hit me hard this week. What, What do I look for in Jesus? What am I looking for in Him? If you're part of a group this week, what a great question to ask and to share. What are you looking for in Jesus? What do you hope he'll bring to your life? If you don't know the answer to that question, um, I encourage you to get in contact with us. I'd love to run a course for people who want to meet Jesus for the first time or I'd love to sit down and read through one of the Gospels with you, read through Mark or, or John, this Gospel, to meet Jesus and find out what he wants to offer you. What's funny in the story, that the disciples don't give a deep answer. Um, they actually ask Jesus, well, where are you staying? I guess that's part of following a traveling teacher. Um, but a- a Jesus, he answers them with another invitation, another deliberately provocative message. Look at verse 39. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, well, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. Is anybody else here a visual learner? Um, visual learners, for those of us, we kind of need to see something before we kind of really understand it. Um, So just like the the lolly box that Beck had before, once you see it, you understand what it is. Um, I'm going to tell you about a game that I started playing three or four years ago in America, Um, a funny game called Pickleball. You're imagining pickles and balls. Um, It's actually kind of like paddle tennis. It has a little paddle and and a little round ball with holes in it. Um, And you play it on a a quarter of a tennis court, so it's nice and small. You don't have to go too far. Um, is your imagination running wild about what it is? Everybody's like, mm, weird. Um, it's actually quite legitimate. 
This is Tyson McGuffin. He's the world number one man. Um, uh, so that's the little paddle and the ball. Beck. We're going to have to send you out. Um, this is actually what Pickleborn more normally looks like. <laughs> that's probably a much, much more normal picture of what uh, suburban Pickleball looks like. Um, I actually went and played in Mossvale yesterday. It's brand new. Um, there you go. Um, there's something different about seeing it in person. I hope I've got... Oh, I don't. I was going to take your attention away from that. Something different about seeing it in person than just hearing the difference. It's seeing it in person makes all of the difference. And so Jesus invites the new disciples to come and see where he's going to go, to come and see what he might do, to come and see what Jesus is all about. And so Jesus, I think, invites us to come and see what Jesus is like. Come and give him a chance to see what happens when you're following the chosen one. Come and you will see, Jesus says, to us. Just like he says to the men in verse 39. Um, Andrew, uh, I promised we'd see four characters uh, in the story, four encounters with Jesus. Andrew is the very first one. Um, We've already met John. We sort of snuck him in. But look at verse 40. This is Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew's one of the the two from that first encounter the day before in verse 37. One of the first two people who became followers of Jesus. Um, It was Andrew and the other disciple who were the first to spend a day with Jesus. And, uh, And who knows what Jesus talked to them about. He might have told them all of the secrets of the kingdom. We don't know. Not recorded here. Um, tradition has that John was the other one of the persons, uh, the other two people. But come back to Andrew, right? What a story Andrew could have told. He could have said, I was the first to follow Jesus. He could have said, I was the very first disciple. Imagine the prowess in that, the prestige, the elevated status that, that, might have, that he might have claimed. When you look at verse 40... How is Andrew introduced? He's introduced as Simon Peter's brother, isn't he? It's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Anybody else here the number two child in your family? Yeah, second children of the world unite. Um, I have an older brother and two little sisters, and um, you know, I feel like I spent my teenage years in my brother's shadow. Yes, sir, he is my brother. Yes, I know I have a lot to live up to. That was my whole teenage uh, I was always better than my brother. Just don't tell him that. And if he's watching, sorry, it's not true. Um, Andrew is remembered as Simon Peter's brother, the one whose brother became the most important apostle. And I'm not sure that I could have told you a few days ago who Simon Peter's brother was. I had to learn it from here. Who remembers Andrew? He's just one of those other characters. Peter's the important one. But we see in verse 41 the important role that Andrew had in the story of the early church. Look at verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. See, Andrew is the reason that Peter became a Christian. Andrew's excitement to share the news with his brother had a major impact on the story of the church. Does Andrew demand to be in the spotlight? Well, he doesn't seem to be. He's barely mentioned in the rest of John's gospel. But when he is mentioned, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. You can look it up yourself. See, sometimes in the church, it can seem like the the upfront roles, they're the most important, the, the glamorous positions and the ones that get all the glory. 
But Andrew reminds us there is something very admirable about quietly and faithfully inviting people to come and see Jesus. Um, I personally ended up a Christian because of a quiet and faithful friend who invited me to church every week for about a year. And I said no every week for about a year. Um, My friend James was not an upfront guy. Um, You probably wouldn't have noticed him at a party. You never would have seen him up the front of church. He was so unassuming. But uh, because of his faithful inviting, when I was in 12th grade, um, our Bible study, we had eight guys at the start of year 12. And by about halfway through, there was 20-something of us. And they all came through James, the faithful, quiet inviter. I'm praying for lots of people like my friend James, lots of people like Andrew here at Robertson Church and at Barrowang and in all the places you go across the highlands because there are lots of people here who need to come and see Jesus and they just need somebody to bring them, to invite them. Next character, Peter. Um, The next character is uh, Andrew's brother, Simon Peter. John assumes that we all know who Simon Peter is because He's the one who becomes the lead disciple. He becomes Jesus' best friend. He becomes the one who founds the church. Uh, church is founded on him after Jesus is returned to heaven. Um, Peter is probably the most famous disciple of all. And this passage foreshadows his important rise to that prominent position. Have a look at verse 31, uh, 41. So, I think the first thing... I'm going to read from verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that's the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon, and he says, you are Simon, son of John, and you'll be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. So Jesus looks at Andrew's brother, and he gives him a new name. He gives him a new identity. No longer will he be Simon, the son of John, the fisherman. From now on, he's to be Peter. Um, Do you know what the the name Peter means in the original language in Greek? It means rock. See, he calls him the rock. Jesus will later say in Matthew 16 that Peter will be the rock on which he builds his church. Peter is given this cornerstone role, this weighty responsibility. The fisherman becomes a fisher of men. And the name that Jesus gives Peter, it's all about potential, isn't it? It's all about his potential. See, Jesus sees Peter not as what he is, but as what he might become. And that's a powerful lesson about the way that Jesus sees us. Uh, The great sculptor Michelangelo famously said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. See, Jesus sees the statue inside the block of stone. He sees what we can become, and he will chip away at the edges. He'll chip away at us until we become the masterpiece that he intends, if we let him. I wonder if you were to meet Jesus today, like Simon met Jesus. I wonder what name he might give you. I mean, what name might he give you? I wonder what potential he sees in you that you perhaps don't even see in yourself. Maybe it's the bravery to be like Andrew, an inviter. Maybe a foundation stone like Peter. What if Jesus was to call you and to use you in the next stage of your life in a way that you couldn't possibly have imagined? You know, what might that look like? We have unlimited potential here at Robo for things to happen. You know, there, there are people that need to be led to Christ. There are courses that need to be run. There are outreaches that we haven't even started yet. 
Uh, perhaps Jesus might take you from somebody who's not even a Christian today to somebody who has great faith in Jesus. Jesus might take you from somebody who's never prayed before to somebody who becomes a warrior for prayer and brings everything before the Lord. He might take you into Bible college. He might take you into a theological degree. He might send you overseas to be a missionary. Who even knows what God could do? When, uh, when I was 16, if you'd asked me at 16 years old, before I met Jesus, what I intended to do with my life, my plan was to be a lawyer. God has his own plans. He has a way of chipping away at us to reveal the potential inside if you meet Jesus today, don't be surprised when He calls you into a very different life than uh, the one that you expected. Because when we follow Jesus, it's all about receiving a new identity and a new calling and a new mission in life. It's the greatest adventure ever. Um, it'll take you wherever you let Jesus take you. I mean, for us, it's taken us all over the world. It's been amazing. I hope you get to meet Jesus like that. Uh, Philip and Nathaniel, last two encounters um, with Jesus. Um, Philip and Nathaniel. Philip is one of those disciples that we hear the least about. Could you tell me much about Philip? I'm not sure that I could. Um, in fact, this is probably his starring moment in the New Testament. Look at how Philip ends up as a disciple in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Uh, Philip doesn't find Jesus. Jesus actually finds Philip. And Jesus says to him, follow me. I wonder if some of you who are listening today are a bit like Philip. Perhaps you're not even sure why you came to church today. Perhaps you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing. What do you think Jesus would say to you if he's here right now? I think he would say what he said to Philip. Follow me. No ifs, no buts. Just follow me. Give me a chance. Come and see what I'll do in your life. Um, I love Philip because he's everything that I wasn't. See, my friend said, come and meet Jesus. I said, no. <laughs> but Philip, he hears the voice of Jesus, follow me. And he follows. So simple. I hope some of you are having a, a Philip moment even right now. Perhaps for the first time, Jesus is speaking to your heart. As you hear him say to you, follow me, follow me. That's what Jesus says. Um, if that's you, praise God. Hang on to that. We're going to pray in a minute. If, if that has happened to you today, I, I definitely want to hear from you. But there's one more character who we, who we encounter in this story. One more encounter with Jesus. It's Nathaniel. And um, Nathaniel scoffs at his friend Philip when Philip tells him about Jesus. By the way, how brave is Philip? Um, how brave is Philip? Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And right away, Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel, to tell him about Jesus. He's brave, isn't he? Right away just became a Christian, I'm going to go and find someone else. But look at what Nathanael says to Philip in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the, the prophets also write. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael asks, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nathanael dismisses the whole idea of Jesus because he's from Nazareth. Uh, this cultural backwater. Can anything good come from there? He scoffs. Um, it's interesting when I tell people that I'm a pastor, I'm a minister. Um, I often get that Nathaniel treatment. Oh, that must be nice for you. And then they walk away. Sometimes it's worse than that. Um, people think you're completely naive if you follow Jesus. Really? Really? You believe in that old-fashioned stuff? 
Um, I've received some pretty contemptuous comments and it might be the same for you when you tell people that you follow Jesus. Come and meet him and they might say, oh really? Well, Nathaniel has a contemptuous attitude about Jesus and we'll meet plenty of people with that same attitude but I love Philip's response to Nathaniel. It's there in verse 46. When uh, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Philip just says, come and see. Just come and see. Doesn't, it doesn't make an offense, doesn't make an, apologic, uh, an apologetic, doesn't argue. He just invites Nathaniel to come and see it for himself. It's one of those things that I love about the Christianity Explored course or Alpha is when people come and meet Jesus for themselves. They, they read about him in the scriptures and all of a sudden the blinders come off. All of the preconceptions and all the prejudice and all the skepticism, often it just falls away in a moment as they see Jesus and who he really is. Um, I love those courses because it's the beginning of a conversation. When somebody comes with skepticism or doubt, it doesn't bother me at all. In fact, that's the beginning of the conversation. It's wonderful as people bring their skepticism. We say, well, just come and meet Jesus. Come and see for yourself. And that's exactly what happened for Nathaniel. Um, we don't have time to go into detail, but Nathaniel meets Jesus and, and Jesus speaks this word of truth into his life. You know, he says, look, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel says, wow, you saw me under a tree. Jesus says, that's, that's not even the beginning, buddy. You'll see more than that and you'll be amazed. And Nathaniel believes. It's wonderful. Um, you might be feeling a bit like Nathaniel this morning. You might feel skepticism towards Jesus. Come and see who he is and let Jesus himself speak into your doubts and speak into your skepticism. Um, if you've got friends or family who have skepticism and doubt about Jesus, invite them to come and see. Because we're going to keep thinking about these encounters at least for the next couple of weeks. Um, but I would love to see us fill up a course of people who want to meet Jesus for the first time, who want to come and see so uh, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray that we'd all have an encounter with Jesus over the next little while? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the faith of these disciples to come and see Jesus, to follow him, to leave behind everything. We thank you for the way that you changed their lives. And we pray for us that we'd have an encounter with you too, that you would change our lives, that you would reveal who you want us to be, we pray, Father, that in this room there might be many Andrews, people who invite. We pray for many Peters, people who become the founders of ministries. We pray for people like Philip who humbly follow and invite. And we ask that all through the highlands, people be brought to meet Jesus. And Lord, for anybody who's like Nathaniel, feeling skepticism about who Jesus is, we pray, Father, that you would open their eyes and show them the truth. Um, Lord, we worship you, we honor you, we thank you for this story, and we pray that we'd each have an encounter with you today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.